Well, that's my goal. By the end of this series, each and every one of us will be able to do all those things you just saw. <laughs> we will then be fully human and fully alive, only when we can do all of those things. <laughs> well, we are starting a series, and it's kind of an unusual title, perhaps, to some of you. Uh, fully human, fully You're thinking, well, I think I'm fully human, Randy. Duh. You know, and I, and I know I'm alive, at least at this second. But when you look at what God says from his vantage point, uh, he says some things that are a little bit shocking. For example, he says that the vast majority of human beings that are on this planet, that we're walking around in darkness, that we are spiritually dead. We're kind of the walking dead, even though we're physically alive, meaning that our God-enlightened reason is disconnected from our Creator, and it's not full of His principles and His truth, and our consciences haven't been calibrated to His truth, and our imaginations haven't been strengthened so that we can reason and think of what's the loving and the righteous thing to do in every situation. So our faculties, our spiritual faculties, are dormant and deteriorating. And so he looks at us and he says, you're, you're spiritually dead, though you're physically alive. So when we're talking about this series, uh, Keys, it's the idea that there are some, some principles, some steps, some concepts that if we can lay hold of those, uh, they will take us very far and frankly very fast in actually becoming fully human and fully alive. Obviously, this series is about real change, real transformation in our innermost parts, in our character, as well as our outer life. So let's start by uh, considering a little seminar, two seminars that you get a chance to go to. So the seminars, their advertisement is kind of like this, that uh, if you want to be fully human and fully alive, if you want to reach your full potential as a human being, come to this seminar. And the seminar is being presented by two people. Now, I'm going to read you a description because this is actually from a book by a man named Sky Jathani. Uh, the book is called Immeasurable. And it's page 21 and 22. But here's seminar leader one. So that you can be fully human, fully alive, reach your full potential in life. Leader A lifted an entire nation in a time of despair. He mobilized his people against unimaginable odds with a clear vision and inspiring passion. He launched a movement that has impacted literally everyone alive today. He set in motion an industrial and scientific revolution that produced the first computer, the first jet airplane, began human exploration of space, unlocked the mystery of nuclear energy. Almost every aspect of the modern world has in one way or another been influenced by this man. By the time he died at age 56, of course, we're bringing him back to do this seminar, uh, everyone on the planet knew his name. Without a doubt, Leader A changed the world. You can go to his seminar, Leader B. Leader B lived during the same era. In fact, he died just 21 days before Leader A. Leader B, but his life was very different. At the height of his influence, Leader B ran a school with just 100 students. He wrote a few books but was not widely regarded. He was beloved by his friends and family and had a reputation for being both intelligent and faithful. But at the time of his death, almost no one knew his name. And most considered his life's work unfulfilled, including Leader B himself. So, given a choice of which seminar you want to go to so that you can learn to be fully human, fully alive, reach your full human potential, be everything that you can possibly be, how many are going to Leader A for the seminar? Let's see your hands. You know why you're not raising your hands? Because you say, Randy's tricking us. Because <laughs> it's so obvious <laughs> that Leader A 
would be the one we'd sign up for. Okay, how many, go ahead, go ahead, do it. How many would go to leader B? Yeah, yeah, and why? Tell me why. What does leader B have going? The leader, but, but because you know that I'm tricking you, and yes, I am. <laughs> Here's leader A. Leader B, never probably heard of him, most of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great Lutheran pastor, Christian, uh, lived in Nazi Germany, resisted Nazism uh, to the point that he finally was arrested by the Gestapo and then hanged deliberately three weeks before World War II was over and the Nazis surrendered. Uh, his books, uh, The Cost of Discipleship and uh, Our Life Together, are widely read to this day amongst Christians, albeit... He's not really the guy's seminar, whose seminar we would have probably went to, but you knew I was, I was catching you somewhere. So, so what is your point, Randy? Well, my point is this. Could it be that being fully human and fully alive, reaching your full potential, has more to do with character than achievement? Leader A had lots of achievement. He changed the world. <laughs> he just didn't change it in a lot of great ways. But leader B... His influence is more or less on a smaller scale individual lives. But his change was because of who he was. And from who he was, his actions flowed. So we're talking today, key number one in learning to be fully human and fully alive is something called vision. Now vision is a word that uh, I loved for a long time until it was used too often, too frequently. The business community sort of first brought it along maybe 15, 20 years ago. And now it's been kind of overused, but it is a valid concept, an important concept. And here's the truth of the matter. As you and I sit here today, each and every one of us, our life is being governed by a vision. The quality of our life is being determined by a vision. Not the vision we think we have, but the vision we actually have. We may not have a clue what vision we have or what vision is governing us, forming our character uh, moving the trajectory of our lives. But the truth is, whatever vision we have, it is. It will determine, absolutely, and I'm going to prove this to you in a second with a little illustration. The vision you and I possess will absolutely determine your and my development as human beings. And whether or not we reach our true potential or reach a very insufficient potential, albeit we think it might be our full potential. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say that we stumble across a Stone Age Amazonian tribe. It's untouched by civilization. They've never seen any technology, not even a flyover of a plane. Uh, they don't read, they don't write. They hunt and they plant, and that's pretty much life. And so I'm an Amazonian parent, and I'm talking to my little Amazonian child, and I'm saying, you know, Am little Amazonian child, someday you'll be able to hunt like mom and dad, and you'll be able to plant and grow things from the ground like mom and dad. You, you can do this. You will do this. this. This is who you are. Now, the little Amazonian child will grow up and more than likely become a great hunter and a good farmer. And that's all. So the question is this. Has that child reached their full potential? Well, what they have reached is the full potential of the vision that they were given. Let's switch it around very quickly. Now there's a child born in the United States. So I'm talking to the child. You're talking to the child. Little child, 
You're going to learn to use, you know, cell phone. Little child, you're going to learn to use computer. Little child, you're going to learn to read and write. Little child, you're going to learn to use your imagination to do creative things in art and science and music and drama. And there's a whole world, vast world, that's going to be open to you. You're going to drive these big 3,000-pound machines around at high speeds. Way too fast you're going to drive these machines. And so what the little child can't do then, you know, will be there. Now, that child growing up in America, you know and I know, will live to do all those things and probably more. The child in the Amazon, did that child have the same potential to do all those things? Of course. What differentiated between the two? The child in the Amazon will never read and never write, even though they have the potential to do so. Why won't they? Because they never received a sufficient vision. The vision that we actually have, it's governing our development. It's going to determine our development. And if it's an insufficient vision, we'll never experience the life that God intended. Uh, we will cheat ourselves. We'll cheat God. We'll cheat our world. And so I want you to see that having... Uh, an accurate vision for your life. It's not some business buzzword. It's very important. Now, this whole thing of vision, let, let me show you a few, few stages it's gone through. What do we mean by vision? Well, in the early days in the business world, uh, here's the way it was depicted. A vision is a vivid mental image of what you want, so it's what you desire, what you want your business to be at some point in the future. Having a vision will give your business a clear focus and it can stop you heading in the wrong direction. This was the typical business uh, definition of a vision. Now, we Christians embraced it, and so we tried to Christianize it a little bit. And so here's the way we depicted a vision. It's a mental picture of a preferred future that arouses passion and focus. True enough, but it's still too untrustworthy for me. It, it, you know, a mental picture of a preferred future that can mean anything that can that can lead me to have unrealistic expectations it can cause me to pursue things expect things that God has never promised nor maybe even intends for me to experience so here's the definition that I want to give to you of what I mean today by vision and what more importantly God lays out for us as vision and here it is vision is a deeply held conviction of what kind of a reality in attainable reality, that's important. I have a conviction this is attainable based on God's revelation. That's his word. In other words, I am learning from God. He tells me something can be. He wants it to be. It's attainable to me. Therefore, I'm going to have convictions that it can be. So it's a deeply held conviction of an attainable reality based on God's revelation that arouses passion or energy and focus. Okay, so the vision that sometimes churches, people pursue that are just kind of concocted on our own, they're not trustworthy. You might hit the target, you might not. But when God says, this is my vision for you, in other words, God has a vision for each and every one of our lives. Let me go further. He has predestined a vision for each and every one of our lives. You have a destiny, a God-given destiny. That's the vision I want to share with you today. That's the vision I want you to, to pin your hopes on 
because it will change your life. It will form your character. It will determine if you become fully human, fully alive, become mature, or if you don't. So with that in mind, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. It's the last night. It's in John chapter 15. It'll be page uh, 12, 19, and the Bible's in near you on the chair, but it's, the, it's John 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. It's the last night that Jesus will be with his disciples. When you come to John's Gospel, chapter 13, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, those chapters all happen the same night. It's the last night that Jesus is with his disciples. He's been with them about three and a half years. He has tried to prepare them with the truth that he is hours away from going to the cross, that he's not going to be with them in the same way that he has been, but he is still going to be with them, but it's going to be different through the presence of the Spirit and so forth. And so he's saying some very important things to them. And in John 15, what you have Jesus doing is giving his followers a vision. It's his vision for them. He's saying, guys, I want you to see who I see you can be, and I want you to, to let this into your heart, and I want it to sort of create tremendous energy and focus for you. You can be this. You can do this. I want it for you. You were made for it. Here's what it is. So that, that's the context of John 15. So let's pick up, uh, reading in verse 1, and Jesus says, he's, you know, using you know, analogies that they would pick up on very easily. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. You're going to find this word fruit. It's used an awful lot, and I'm going to, you know, define it for you so it makes more sense. Every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more. Well, we understand this. You know, you cut off all the little branches so that the other branches will be more productive, have more fruit on them. Verse 3. He says, you're clean. Mind you, he's been with them three and a half years now. They've been sitting, you know, at his feet, learning from him every day. He says, you're clean already because of the word that I've spoken to you, meaning all that he's taught them to this point that they have trusted in and embraced. Verse 4. He says, now remain in me, and I will remain in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. We'll define what it means to remain in him. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him does what? Bears much fruit, whatever that may be. We're going to talk about it. Because apart from me, you can accomplish what? Nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch, and he dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire, and they're burned up. If you remain in me, and my what? Words remain in you, my teaching living in you, internalized in you. If my teaching you have internalized it, if you remain in me, and my words are internalized in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Verse 8. My father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. All right, there's a few things we have to unpack. What does he mean, remain in me, remain in me? Remember, I told you, this is the last night he's going to be with his disciples. He has told them this bluntly. I am going to be crucified. And they don't even want to, they don't want to believe that it's possible. They, they want to trick themselves into thinking, oh, he's speaking some kind of an analogy or something. But he's telling them, I'm going to leave. I've been with you guys every day for the past three and a half years. Your whole life is centered around me. Every day you got up, Jesus, where are we going today? What are we going to learn today? What are you going to do today? Their whole life was focused for three, three and a half years on Jesus. Now he says, remain in me. 
he's telling them, guys, the way we've done it for the past three and a half years, you have to keep on doing it that way when I go. Stay completely focused on me. How much do you need to stay focused on me? Every day, all the time, I still need to be the center of your life. You were created by me and for me. And apart from me, we read it. He said, you can do nothing. So that's what he means by remain in me. But then he says it in a different way. He says, and I'll remain in you. We're like, okay, what does that mean? You're going to remain in you. Well, he unpacks it later when he says, if my words remain in you. So Jesus is saying, if you've internalized my teaching, you've trusted me, you've trusted my teaching, you are absorbing it, you are living it out. He's saying, I'm going to be right there with you. My presence will be there. And if you continue this process, centering your life on me, letting my teaching govern your, your life, you will be fruitful. Next word we need to unpack. So what is fruitfulness? Well, essentially, it's being productive. He's saying your life will be productive. Your life will reach the end for which God created it. You will become who God meant you to become, and you will do, you will fulfill what he meant you to do. That is what it means to be fruitful. And Jesus gave fruitfulness, in this case fruitfulness meant he revealed the truth about the Father. He revealed the nature of God so that everybody could see it. We are to be the same kinds of people, that people can meet God as they meet us. They did lots of service to help people that were disconnected from God to come back to God in trust. Fruitfulness means I become someone that people can meet Christ in me. I'm becoming like Christ, actually changing, becoming like Christ, and I am doing things to help reconnect other people to Christ. So fruitfulness means character transformation and service and ministry that is effective. That's what Jesus is talking about. All right. So this is the vision that he left these individuals with. And of course, the vision is passed down to us today. So let's pause and just recognize that in my opinion, a vision that's, that's not valid, if it doesn't have the, the stamp approval of God, it's not worth even considering. But here's a vision that is valid. It's of God. There is another vision for each of our lives given in Scripture. It's kind of the overarching, ultimate vision for our lives that will assure us to develop, to become more fully human and more fully alive, to reach our full potential. And we have it in the book of Romans 8.29. And here's the way it looks. It says, God knew from the beginning who would put their what? Their trust in him. He has something called foreknowledge. He doesn't cause us to put our trust in himself or in Christ, but he knows in advance. It says, God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him. So he chose them and made them to be like his who? Son, we were chosen, we were destined to be like his son. Christ was first, and all those who belong to God are his brothers. That's the New Living Version. Let me show you the same verse in a different version. Romans 8, 29, in the New International Version, it says, For those God foreknew, the other one says he knew who would put their trust in Christ. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, there's your destiny, he predestined what? to be conformed, metamorphosed, transformed, transformed into what? To the image of who? His son. Well, there's the vision. There's something we can lock on to. That he might 
be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Your destiny, according to God, the vision that God has given to you and I, what does it mean to be fruitful in the way Jesus is talking about? You, me, are destined to become like Jesus Christ. That's a valid vision for your life. And that valid vision can start a dynamic in each of our lives that will increasingly bring forth positive fruit or positive results like, like Jesus was talking about. So when we think about this, here's, here's a few things that vision will do for us. Vision brings direction. In other words, every situation that I'm in, every day of my life, it's like, I, I know what I want to do today. I, I might be working. I might be staying at home. I might be interacting with people. Whatever I'm doing today, I want to become more like Christ. I, I want to think like him. I want to react like him. I want people to experience his kindness, his love, his patience in me. Today, this day, and every day, I have a direction. My direction is I want to be more like Christ. Meaning, I now have an interpretive grid on things. I, I don't ask is this pleasant? I don't ask, is this profitable? I ask, how might this circumstance, if I navigate it correctly, enable me to become more like Christ? How many of you like, you really like and you love waiting in lines? Can I see your hands? <laughs> yeah, of course not. None of us do. Because waiting in lines requires, what's that big bad word? Patience. Patience. Well, how do you become more patient? By being forced <laughs> to be patient. So I have this vision that I'm supposed to grow. I have the spiritual DNA to grow to be Christ-like. I'm destined by God to become Christ-like. So now I can interpret things in a different way. It gives me courage. No matter what season I'm in in life, no matter what circumstance I'm in, there's nothing that can stop my forward progress unless I stop it to become more like Christ. I become courageous and confident in life. And finally... I have endless energy and enthusiasm. I have a goal that sustains me, keeps me excited, fills me with joy and passion, and I pursue it until my last breath. This is what vision will do for us once we have the right vision. There's another verse that uh, I might have skipped over back in Ephesians that just sort of reemphasizes this. If you were to read the verses 11 and 12 that come before it, it's talking about the leadership team, team in local churches, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their work is to, you know, help the body of Christ grow so that everybody learns to serve. But then it picks up and it says, this work, this work of the leadership team must continue until we are all joined together in the same faith and in the same knowledge about the Son of God. It goes on. We must become like a what? A mature person. What does a mature person look like? We must grow until we become like, what does it say? That's what I look like once I'm mature. That's what I look like when I'm fully human and fully alive. I don't dare measure myself by you or you measure yourself by me. We are destined to become mature human beings, fully human and fully alive, which is to become like Christ and have all his, what does it say? You couldn't even bring yourself to say that one, could you? All his what? Perfection. Now, inevitably, there's somebody with the bumper sticker mentality. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Remember that old bumper sticker? I, I, I had agape hate for that thing. I, every time I saw it, I wanted to... For some of you, uh, there's four different words for love in Greek, and agape is the word for God's kind of love, so agape hate. Anyway, you don't care about that. But, but I hated it. I hated it. Because here's what I've always known. 
what you aim at, you're going to hit. If you're aiming at being a mess, staying a mess, and giving yourself an excuse to stay a mess, guess what you're going to be? A mess. But this passage, if I could have it back, and there's multitudes of others that confirm it as well, it says we must grow until we become like Christ and have all his perfection. That is what it means to be mature, fully human, fully alive. Well, that, that's, that's big to take in. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, well, Randy, I already knew that, man. I've known, I've known that for years. I even believe that. Well, how's that working for you? Are you seeing progress, measurable progress? Because what I've observed sometimes is that a person can theoretically possess the right vision, this vision that comes from God, of the kind of development we are capable of because we're made in his image, but it doesn't actually happen. How many of you know people? Don't look at them if they're beside you. Don't look at them. <laughs> but they've been, so they say anyhow, a Christian for a long, long time. But you can't honestly see much, if any, measurable change in their character, especially their secretive, behind-the-scenes behavior. How many know people like that? Can I see your hands? Don't, don't look at them. They'll, they'll probably punch you at home. <laughs> not, not here. At here, they're, they want to put their Mr., you know, Mr. Good Christian face on. So there's a problem. We'll, we'll address this because, you know, all kidding aside, there, there's something that creates this kind of a problem, and some of us, we, we just, we mean well, but we haven't figured it out. You know, here's just something to think about real quick. If I were to give you a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle, dump it all out on the table, but never show you the cover of the box and say, go at it. Another person, I show them the cover of the box, and you guys are going to race, and I say, go at it. Isn't the person that's seen the cover of the box going to finish faster? Oh, yeah. Here's God saying, I have predestined you. I've put my spiritual DNA in you. The purpose of your life is to become somebody. And when you become somebody, you will do some things. And these things will have eternal, everlasting impact. And so here's the cover for you. Now, do you believe this? Do you really believe in this life? Because Christians have this notion, oh, yeah, 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 I believe Jesus is going to make me like himself when I die. He's going to kind of zap me and poof, I wake up in a new body and whoa, I have these feelings like Jesus now that I never had before, you know. Um, but do you believe that in this life you can attain what that verse just said we're supposed to be trying to attain, full Christ-like character and maturity with all of his perfection? How many? How many? Okay, she's going to, she's going to try. But do, you, but do you believe that's possible? Can I see the hands of those who believe that's possible? You just read it. In God's word, it's possible. I did something in the first service. I'll see if you guys will bear with me on this. Will you repeat something after me if you believe what I'm saying is true? I can grow. I can change. Now, the last one's much harder. Don't say it if you don't believe it. I can become like Christ. That's the start of this vision getting into you where it can start to release its power, where it can start to have its transforming effect. You must, it must go from theoretical 
to conviction. God said this. This is his predestined plan for me. I believe it. And now I'm going to start moving, cooperating with it. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll unpack that a little bit for you. Back in 2013, September 2013, an interesting thing occurred. There was this young guy named Joel Pruzak. He's 19 years old. He was managing a Dairy Queen in Minnesota. Into the Dairy Queen comes a blind man. Blind man buys, you know, some ice cream and in the process drops a $20 bill on the floor. A lady, a dear lady, sees the $20 bill and she grabs it and puts it in her pocket. <laughs> well, this young man who was managing, there he is right there, Joel Prusak, who was the manager of this particular Dairy Queen, he sees this. And he goes out and he confronts this lady and says, what are you doing? The man is blind. Give him his money back. She refuses, steadfastly refuses, makes quite a scene. He finally says, then you leave the store. If you won't disrespect or if you won't respect this man, then you, you won't be served here. He puts her out of the store. Now, up to that point, we're kind of feeling, yeah, kid, way to go. But he takes it to a whole different level. He reaches into his own pocket. And he pulls out his $20. How many of you know you're not going to be real rich working at Dairy Queen? And he gives the $20 to the blind man. And he goes on back to the counter and never thinks any more of it. There was somebody in the store that observed the entire thing going on. They emailed management for Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen management got a hold of this story, put it on Facebook. It went viral. Next thing you know, Getty, the, or not Getty, but uh, uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest men in the world, who has ownership of the Dairy Queens as well as multitudes of other things, he gets the story. And he calls this non, young 19-year-old kid to come to one of the, the board meetings of this huge corporation that Buffett is over, and he wants them to meet this young man. Now, why? Why, why, why am I so moved when I hear a story like that? Why are so many other people so moved when they hear a story like that? What, what's causing that? What's behind that? Well, here's my theory on it. I think there's this faint echo still existent in our souls that we know we were meant to be beautiful people. And when we see this beauty exhibited, even in fragmentary forms, it so moves us. It so stirs us. Sometimes it even motivates us to go and do likewise. But it's this memory, this predestined image that we were meant to bear, to be like Christ. This young man, he showed the kindness of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the generosity of Christ, the courage of Christ to stand up for the oppressed. I could go on. And when we see this, it stirs something in us unless we are totally spiritually dead. And we, we kind of wish it was us that did that heroic deed. Because we're meant to live beautiful, heroic lives within our own limited sphere of influence. So, recognizing the validity of a vision is critical because we'll only develop to the point of the vision that we actually possess. Now you have an all-sufficient vision. You can. You are meant to. You are predestined to become like Christ. But in order for that to happen, we have to embrace there's a personal part. There's a, a cooperative part. We have to embrace the entirety of that vision. And the emphasis is on the word entirety. Because I think with some of us, it gets short-circuited, like I was saying earlier. So I came up with this idea that I thought might be helpful for you to understand what I mean by the entirety. 
uh, I thought about this dinner vision that I had. Um, just curious, how many of you would like to have a, a dinner with me? We'll spend maybe two, three hours. We'll spend the first hour or so. We're not going to make small talk, though. We're going to make big talk. We're going to talk about profound things. And then I'm going to give you all the same dinner offer. I'm going to give you chicken. I'm going to give you potatoes. I'm going to give you peas. And I'm going to give you chocolate cake. And that's what we're going to do. How many? Okay, we'll fry your chicken, maybe. <laughs> How many will be interested in that? Dinner with Randy Dandy. Randy Dandy's dinner vision. There it is. Randy Dandy's dinner vision. Someday I'll tell you where the dandy came from. So you come to my house, and there it is. What's the problem? It's got everything, everything I said. There's the chicken. There's the chocolate cake. There's the potatoes, and there's the peas. What's the problem? Yeah. There's, there's things missing, aren't there? there? There's ingredients missing. There's preparation missing. There's effort that's missing, right? You and I can be clear about God's vision for us, that we are meant to be like Christ. But unless we embrace this vision with entirety, we will never actually progress at all. We could be in places like this for five years, 10 years, 20 years, sing with gusto. <laughs> oh, I want to be more like you, Jesus, and all that, and never, ever change. It's required that we embrace the entirety of the vision. Now, I want to just tell you, this entire series, the key series, it, it's going to give you different aspects of this. They're, they're, they're not rocket science things. Some of them are very obvious, but they're very profound once embraced and practiced. But there's, there's a cooperative component that has to happen. Let me share another verse with you, and I'm, I'm, I'm winding down, so feel, feel comfortable. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, the Lord's personality, his behavior, his works, the way he thinks, the way he feels. I'm contemplating it. I'm, I'm thinking of it. I'm meditating on it. We contemplate the Lord's glory, and as we're contemplating the Lord's glory, our being, continuous tense, what? Transformed into what? His image. That's what we read about earlier. With ever-increasing glory, I'm growing. I'm showing more and more Christ-like thought, more and more Christ-like reaction patterns, more and more Christ-like feelings, and so forth. Ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's in the NIV version. Let me show you one more version. Then. Actually, I might show you two more parts of versions of it. Because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. The other one said we contemplate the Lord's glory. Here it says we, we receive pictures of the Lord's glory from, from the Word of God. We are constantly, notice the continuous action again, constantly being transfigured. The other one said transformed into His very own what? So it's telling us, this is how this thing works. This is how it happens. One more version of it. This is the NIRV. All of us can see the Lord's glory and do what? Think how? Deeply about it. It's like, wow, man, Jesus, what, why did you say that to that person? What, what was going on inside of you? What, what loving motive might you have had? Why did you do that miracle that way and you did it differently there? We, we think deeply about the Lord's glory. And the, the result is we are being changed to become, what does it say? More like Him. 
No contemplating the Lord's glory. No thinking deeply of the Lord's glory. No looking into the word to behold the Lord's glory. No change. No constant change in us. So we see there's a cooperative process involved in this. And like I say, in this series, we'll we'll deal with some others as well. Let me give you three parts, though, very quickly, that will change the vision from being something that's held theoretical to something that is alive, dynamic, and actually a transforming force in your life, your character, and mine. There's three parts that are uh, irreducible minimums. When I get this vision that God created me to become like Christ, that's what my full-grown, fully human, fully alive self will look like. I've got to find in that something I desire. In other words, let me just make this real simple. If I don't really want to be like Jesus, I won't be. Unless I I have this, this desire in me. When I see you and you tell me I can be like you and that's your intention for me, everything I see in you, awes me with beauty everything about you uh jesus i love and i want to be like we must have desire to be like him first second we must have belief that when god says we can be like jesus and have all of his perfection we must believe we can if i try to convince you listen i'm going to train you to flap your arms every day and in five years you'll be flying like a robin you're going to say randy you're crazy humans can't fly Okay, you're right. You don't have the right structure. God says, though, he's put the divine imprint in us, and we can become like Christ in this life. If you do not believe that, if I do not believe that, I will not do the last thing, which is what? Pursue it. These are irreducible minimums. For the vision to become a transforming reality, for me to actually become more and more like Christ as my years progress, I've got a desire to be like Christ sincerely. I really, really have to have that desire. I must believe that it's possible, and then I must pursue it, which means I cooperate with God in the process, which we'll talk more about that. Let me close with an interesting story I came across. A lady named Erin uh, Blunting. She was writing in an uh, online uh, kind of a sister thing to Christianity Today called Korea. And uh, it's not like Korea the country, but Korea is a Greek word. Anyway, you don't care about that. But... Um, <laughs> She tells a story of going into the grocery store, and we've probably all had similar stories like this. And I'm just going to read it, uh, let you hear her speak. She said, the label on the bottle said, blueberry pomegranate, 100% juice, all natural. There was also a picture of a ripe pomegranate spilling its exotic, glistening seeds onto the mound of fat, perfect blueberries. Then I read the ingredients list. Filtered water. Pear juice concentrate, apple juice concentrate, grape juice concentrate. Where was the blueberry? Where was the pomegranate? Finally, I found them, fifth and seventh on a list of nine ingredients after mysteriously unspecified natural flavors, whatever that may be. Now, by law, food ingredients are listed in descending order of weight. I never knew this. This means that a product contains the greatest proportion of the first ingredient on the list and successively less of those further down. So according to the list, the jug in my hand held mostly water and other juices with just enough blueberry and pomegranate for flavor and color. To the bottom corner of the front label, in a small, easy-to-miss type, were the telltale words, flavored juice blend with other natural ingredients. The enticing pictures and clever labeling were decoys 
to sell a diluted blueberry pomegranate flavored product, convincingly disguised to look like something it wasn't. I put the juice back on the shelf. Now, you say, Randy, where are you going with this? Well, how accurately, I, let, 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 me, let me ask this first. How many of you are sitting here and you would say, I am a Christian, Randy. I have put my trust in Christ. I am a Christ follower. I'm a Christ one. That's what the word Christian means, Christ one. I'm a Christ one. How many would raise your hands and say, that's what I identify as? Can I see your hands? Okay, so that's, that's a large majority. Of us. That, that's your label then. So, the question becomes, if that's my label and your label, suppose we had an accurate ingredients list <laughs> on display. Would Jesus be the first ingredient in the list? Or like the pomegranate fake juice way down the list? There, there are, are innumerable people that think, that, hey, man, a little, a little Jesus, a little religion is just good for you, good for your soul, good for your kids, good for your family. And so I like a lot of other things, and, you know, but I, I got these things that I keep in place in my life, and a little bit of Jesus. But that's not the way we were created. Scripture says we were created by Christ and for Christ, and apart from him, nothing holds together. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, meaning nothing that's worthwhile ultimately. We will never develop to be who we can be, are meant to be, or do what we can and will be able to do unless... Our ingredients list at least has Jesus as the first ingredient. If not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. So that's the first thing. What would your ingredient list really, truly look like? What's inside? Is there increasingly a Christ-like persona developing? And then the second question is simple. Now that you know this vision, now that you know its validity, now that you know its potential to help you be fully human and fully alive, experience the full quality of life in the here and now that God intends, do you want it? Do you want it enough that you desire it? Do you believe that it can be? And are you ready to pour your energy behind it and pursue it? That's really what the decision that each of us have to ponder today. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, first that uh, you did the most loving thing that could be done. You created beings like us that have the capacity and the ability to experience life in all its fullness on the very level that you do yourself. You made us in your image. And even though we get ourselves confused and tangled up, you pursue us, you affirm us with your love and forgiveness, and you just... Plead with us to come back to you in trust. And then you offer us this divine destiny that we can still become like you. Father, you know what's really on my mind. My heart's desire and prayer is that your spirit will do that thing that only your spirit can do. And that is to set a fire burning in each and every one of our hearts here. An eternal fire. One that will last today, tomorrow, next month, next year, next decade. Until your very kingdom comes and your will is finally done on earth as in heaven. That's my prayer for everyone in this room. It's in Christ's name I ask it. Amen. Amen.